Hey, this is Still Here Her Sports, and I'm still your host, Elizabeth Emery, but we are doing something a bit different today. You might have noticed this isn't a regular day for releasing episodes. That's because this is a special race report episode. Today I'm talking to Julia Kern, an American cross-country ski racer, about the first World Cup of the season, which, like in most years, was in Ruka, Finland. We are very lucky because A, Julia is just awesome, and what an absolute thrill for her to make a moment to be on the show. And then B, she's just the first of many awesome U.S. women who will be part of this series of cross-country World Cup race reports. If you don't like the first I did this, then I did that, then that happened kind of race reports, don't worry, that's not what you'll hear. So why am I doing these race reports? Well, because it's going to be really fun. I've been having a ball talking to these women I've admired and watched racing on TV for years. But more important, though, there's a World Cup cross-country ski race coming to the U.S., to Minnesota, to be exact, and it's the first time ever for that. And let's be prepared. Know the characters and what to look out for on the course. And just to be clear, it's not just the U.S. women who will be in Minnesota, but the entire World Cup circuit of athletes from all over the world. It's incredible. I can't wait to be there in person and see what it's really like. As you will hear today, these racers go fast, like 40 miles an hour or more, on little sticks clamped to their feet and without edges like downhill skiers have. Anyway, I'm showing my love of the sport. And now to prep the scene a bit. Ruka, the race Julia will review today, took place on the 24th through the 26th of November. It was cold. No, really, it was super cold, like zero Fahrenheit. The Ruka course is hilly enough for racers who are totally accustomed to skiing up and down, talk about how hilly the course is. And to introduce Julia Kern, she's young, 25, but has been on the team for nine years, so quite experienced. She's a 2022 Olympian, a world championship bronze medalist, and has been on the podium in multiple World Cups. Early in her career, she was a U23 world championship bronze medalist and was part of the four skier team to win bronze in the junior world championship relay. I loved hearing from Julia about what she got from the racing at Ruka, learning, for example, how little she, and most of the team actually, had been on snow before the first World Cup race weekend, and how steep the Ruka Hill really is. I also loved hearing about Julia's warm-up and a bit of messed-up warm-up math. If you haven't already listened to the Jesse Diggins episode, be sure to check that one out, along with the episode with U.S. ski coach Kristen Bourne, who Julia will mention in a bit. Alrighty, let's get started. Well, hi, Julia. You know, thank you for being here. You are the first skier for these World Cup race reports. I'm super excited. And it's just so exciting to be preparing for the World Cup in Minnesota. And I'm grateful for your time because I know that you're super busy out there with full on race season going on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on and uh, excited to talk about the first weekend and all the exciting things like Minneapolis to come this season. Yeah, yeah. Well, so my aim for these World Cup race reports is to introduce listeners, particularly U.S. listeners who probably are less familiar with cross-country skiing. So I want to introduce them to the athletes, but also to the sport and to the racing and World Cup. So this weekend, as you mentioned, was the first race of the season. It was in Ruka, Finland. What was it like? What was memorable for you? There certainly was a lot to be remembered. Yeah, I mean, the World Cup season started off with a lot of action. Um, we got thrown right into racing with three days straight of racing, which is the most we usually do besides the tour. And it was brutally cold, and the courses in Ruka are known to be very hilly and steep. So 
feel like we were thrown all of the elements this weekend with a sprint, a 10K, and a 20K. So really ranging from the shortest to one of the longer races we do um, in extreme cold weather. And um, we also have a new like fluoro-free ski implementation of waxes. So that was a whole new challenge for our tech team and flow that we had to test out in the first weekend. So I'd say there were, there were so many things that were memorable. And of course, getting Rosie getting two podiums and Jesse a podium was was a really exciting way to kick off the season for the team. Yeah, no kidding. And your specialty is sprinting, right? Yes, my specialty is definitely sprinting. I tend to race almost, yeah, I, run, I race most distances, but definitely prefer sprint. And that's my strongest discipline right now. If you're on the World Cup, I don't know, circuit, do you have to race all the races or could you decide or could your team decide to only put you in the sprints? Um, no, so every, yeah, my team could decide not to give me a start. And there are definitely a lot of athletes who specialize in sprint or distance or skate or classic. And I would say it's more common to specialize than race everything. And it depends on the team you're on too. So like if you're on a team that has a really stacked sprint team, you may be quite a good sprinter and, but a better distance skier and you may only get distance starts. So it's very much up to your, your country to decide whether you get to start a race or not and how was the weekend for you i would say the the weekend was a mixed bag i had the sprint was was great and really encouraging and a little bit unlucky but was really great way to kick off the season the 10k um i was disappointed i was i feel more fit this year so i feel like the result didn't really show that and then the mass start day was definitely a step in the right direction and so i think that's generally how ruka goes for me and just getting getting used to racing again and getting back into that form. But definitely a mixed bag to kick off the season, which I think is really good because there's room to build from that. And if you come in swinging, it's really hard to maintain that the whole season. The first race of the season is always so hard because, you know, there are all those questions. I mean, you've been training with a team and training by yourself, but that's different from racing. Yeah, training and racing are very different. And I don't think people totally realize that. And I think Another aspect that a lot of maybe casual viewers don't see or understand is that our team, we had, I think, nine or 10 days on snow before the first World Cup, and from a lot of us, except for the Alaskans. And a lot of the Swedes and Norwegians and Finnish skiers have been on snow for over a month and have had at least two race weekends under their belt. So they come in having to be in peak form to fight for maybe start positions on the World Cup team. And our team is structured very differently coming over from North America. So it's an interesting dynamic of some teams coming out swinging the first weekend and petering out. And after like the first period, everyone kind of equalizes and settles into maybe a more normal World Cup field. Can we talk about snow and maybe use the Ruka snow as a way to sort of get off the conversation? Because Snow is so different depending on temperature and where you are and what's happened before, you know, like what the humidity is and all that stuff. And I think that's really hard to understand if you mostly ski where you're from and, you know, you don't travel that much. Oh, I totally agree. Snow is so variable. I grew up skiing on the Western golf course outside of Boston. So for me, I always thought generally skiing on like sugary man-made was pretty normal. (laughs) Uh, But it really depends. Like European snow is different than American snow. There's actually a whole different waxing for that snow and different structures and grinds in the skis. So the way the snow is everywhere, it can be really different. And when it's really cold, it gets 
you kind of say it's like skiing on styrofoam and we had a little bit of that in Sunday's race where your skis aren't gliding that much because it's the snow is so dry and cold that there's there's not much movement in the snow and like mid temperatures or man-made tends to be generally faster and then as you get to like really warm sloppy slushy conditions the, the snow speed sl- slows down again so yeah whether it's natural snow tends to be slower than man-made and then the temperature can really drastically change how long a race can take i mean it really was cold it was like six degrees right <laughs> i think sunday was zero fahrenheit oh we were God. we were close to legal racing limit it was cold and humid too Wow. Yeah. So what other considerations are there in that kind of temperature? I mean, I just keep seeing, you know, like I watch all the races on TV and I see you guys in your little thin stuff. And I think, oh, God, it got to be so cold when before you start, when, you know, you're getting to the line. And oh, my gosh, talk about that, please. Yes, there's always at the start, there's a bit of a group panic or decision making of what are you going to wear under your suit? What are you going to wear? Like, I don't know, because you don't want to get too hot either because if you get too hot, especially on this Ruka course, you're climbing for five minutes straight and then you're going down this hill. Like people were hitting like 45, 48 miles per hour. Um, and so then you just, everything just freezes. And so you have to be dressed warm enough so that you're not getting too cold in the downhill, but you don't want to be too overdressed because then you're going to sweat and freeze. And so it's, everyone has their own internal thermostat too. So I ended up buying a new, another base layer last week before the races because what I had with me just wasn't wasn't enough under the race suit and uh it is definitely a challenge to figure out what to race in and thankfully we have staff at the start so we're like all bundled and have our like hoods over us and then two three minutes before our staff can come and grab our jackets so we're not just like standing in the cold for too long even those two to three minutes sound very cold (laughs) yeah especially when the wind is blowing you're like oh can we get going now but it is it's definitely a challenge and um the humidity makes a big difference too and the, sure. the different type of courses as well. So you said you bought a separate base layer. What were you wearing underneath? And I know, and as you said, I mean, it really is very personal what people tend to wear, but tell us what you're wearing. Yeah. So under my race suit, which is, well, our race suit's very thin this year. Um, I wore a thin, long base layer on bottom and then a fleece base layer on top of that and then my race no suit. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because that downhill is just so chilling. And when I'm, my muscles get cold, I just I just can't move. And on top, I had a really thin t-shirt and then like a smart wool or like a wool type wool merino synthetic mix long sleeve on top, which I regretted not wearing two long sleeves on top. I should have matched <laughs> the bottom. My yeah. my forearms were, were cold to my triceps. <laughs> oh, that's just amazing. And so what about your feet? Are you wearing anything over your shoes? Your boots? Uh, in the warm-up, I wore boot covers. In the race, I did not. Sometimes I race in heated socks, which have been a huge game changer. And I think Rosie was racing in them. But I couldn't wear them because it didn't quite fit in my boot, especially cla- or classics a little bit harder. But um, sometimes I race in heated socks, which is pretty extreme, but is a game changer. But I, yeah, I was just in straight boots and I definitely didn't didn't have much feeling in my toes at the end. <laughs> And and what about warm up? Because I think that, and you can correct me, I don't think that you can get on the course that much before the race. It depends on the venue. Every weekend's different. So for example, Sunday, we couldn't get on the course until about 30 minutes before because there was a Nordic combined race going on. And so we were skiing on the part of the course we raced on uh, the other two and a half K from Saturday's race to warm up. 
So it, it, it really depends on the venue. Sometimes you can't ski at all if there's not enough snow or you only get like 10 minutes on snow and then you're running or you're ski erging or you're spin biking. And the, like being on the World Cup circuit, over time you learn you have to be pretty flexible about your warm up because skiing isn't always a guarantee you're skiing on the course. And so I've, I've learned to be really creative of how to warm up. And I think for me in the end, a lot of it is just like, is your body warm? Have you gone a little hard? And are you warm at the start? <laughs> so you're, you're using sort of indoor equipment to warm up when you can't get on the snow. Uh, indoor equipment that's outdoors. So our spin bike, we call her <laughs> hooray. Uh, she sits on the truck, like on the, either in the start pen on the sprint days, we'll like sit on the spin bike in between rounds in the start finish area and spin bike, or she's on the porch um, of our wax truck. And then we have ski ergs that mount outside on the wax truck as well. That sometimes we pull out for city sprints and things like that. So you, it's rare that we have an indoor space where we're staying or warming up. Right. Okay. And then you mentioned something about the Hills where the speeds that they were talking about in commentary were just incredible between 60 to 80 kilometers an hour. I mean, that just, that seems very fast. <laughs> Yes, the Ruga downhill is very fast and very straight. And there was just, especially in a pack, we haven't done that course in a mass yeah. start before. And so you have this insane draft effect where you just get, everyone gets sucked in and down the hill and the snow was whirling everywhere and you're, you're like crying, but then your tears are freezing because it's so cold and you're going so fast. Yeah, so, I mean, it's really fun to go fast, but also the first first two laps was just like looking 10 people ahead if anyone's wobbling at all to make sure that you wouldn't get stuck behind a crash. And I would suspect, and I saw it in the race, that that definitely impacts the strategy of the racing because of that sort of uh, group effect. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of stringing out and coming back together. There were times where I was came to a complete stop at the bottom of the hills and they call it the accordion effect because as people go up the hill, things spread out. And so everything jams together on the hill. And then as people crest and it flattens out, everything gets strung out. So there's a lot of um, stop and go motions early on. And the pack just moves so much faster with the draft than if you're alone. And that's why there weren't really successful breakaways in the race in men or women's race this weekend. It was really interesting as a cyclist to watch how similar it was to bike <laughs> racing. Yeah. Then you also mentioned about the fluorocarbon free racing that started this year. You know, like, was that a factor for you? I mean, your U.S. techs did an amazing job. Yeah, our U.S. techs absolutely crushed it. I know that the stress was pretty high the two weeks coming in. <laughs> um, we had a, a tech's birthday earlier this last week, and we had made dessert, Jesse and I, and um, they were just cranking away in the truck and didn't even make the celebration that was for one of our techs. So we just <laughs> delivered them a pan of of our dessert we baked for them and they were very grateful but they were they were really putting it all in because they didn't want to have any any possibility of a positive test they borrowed the austrian machine to test the skis before and the fist machine just to make sure everyone's skis were good to go before the race and it's changing how people wax and what waxes we're using and definitely the ground speed is a lot slower for now i think the fluoro free waxes will become faster as there's just more testing and innovation in that realm but it changes the timeline of how we warm up to now we have to check in our skis a half an hour before the race and so our warm-up now we have to go out and test skis an hour 40 before a race and it used to be like an hour hour 10 so now we had to change our entire warm-up I like go out test with my tech then I like walked back into the cabin sat for like 10 or 15 minutes and then walked back out and started to warm up again 
so it's definitely just changing how the flow works and getting getting used to a new timeline. Did that work out well or was it stressful? It worked out well most of the time, except on the sprint day before the semifinal or no, before the quarterfinals. You know, we set a certain amount of time to pick skis, test skis and make sure we like dial in the kick and it was just tricky to dial it in. And I did my math wrong too with when the course closed. And so I ended up skiing three times up that last big hill in the sprint for my warm up for the quarterfinals. And then the course closed. I was like, oh, shoot. I like haven't even skied the other half of the course yet before the heats. So I didn't really nail that part, but I had a great quarterfinal. And I think I was a little bit stressed because I was like, wow, I, I definitely screwed up my warm up there. But I ended up just spinning on the bike and running around and that was enough. But I think there was definitely a learning curve this weekend. And thankfully, it didn't seem to impact me too much. But yeah, that's why that's why we have, uh, I guess, a one first weekend to really figure it out and hopefully uh, learn from those mistakes moving forward. So so what did you take from this first weekend for yourself in terms of, you know, like what's going to happen before next week? How are you going to change your racing or anything like that? I think in terms of the sprint race, I was, Ruka's always been really hard for our team. It's a challenging course and we don't see that kind of hill very often on World Cup together, let alone, I don't know, I probably classic speed five or six, five or six days on snow before that race. So um, that was really confidence inspiring because my race prep I was slipping all over the place I wasn't able to like figure out how to get up that hill and so I walked away from the sprint being really excited with how my form was feeling and feeling like I was really in the mix and in control and there I had a got kind of got stuck out of the start in the semifinal and um, had a hard time getting going and I always struggle with getting cold for the semifinals there or I have last year too so just remembering that and figuring out new ways to make sure I stay warm for semifinals and finals if I continue to make it through I think that was a big takeaway because I felt like I was skiing really well I just wasn't really warm enough for the semifinal and um, so I think going into sprints I'm really looking forward to more sprint opportunities because I love those days and fortunately we don't have a sprint this weekend but that'll give me some more time to work on those details for the following sprints and in terms of distance it's easy to look at the result and be disappointed for myself but also this is how my race year usually starts distance and it's part of racing is getting myself into shape and so they're not training races per se but also being patient and knowing my form is there and it's just going to take some races to find that race gear and hold that race gear on the distance side and the way I do that is by racing even if they aren't the best races of my season so that's how I'm kind of walking away from that weekend and I'm we just skied the new courses in Yalavari this morning and I'm really excited for the 10k because it has a lot of turns and a lot of transitions and isn't as steep and punchy as the Ruka course so I think it plays a lot more to my strengths and I'm excited to see what I can can do there and take the momentum from the mass start which was um a, a pr- decent result for a type of course and condition that maybe don't play to my strengths on such a cold day <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's such a long season. Yeah, it's a long season. Like I, I mean, my coach had to remind me that this is how my season normally starts. And also, you don't like I don't want to be in peak form now. The goal is to be in peak form for Minneapolis and right. to be consistently strong throughout the World Cup. And so I think just being patient is really hard, but it also I think is good because there's there's room to build up from there and 
know that, okay, there's things that I want to improve on and work on and it's going to come. It's just going to take some, some hard efforts. We didn't really talk about it, but I think it is so interesting that you guys haven't really been on snow, you know, and you're competing against all these people where it's been snowing since, I don't know, October or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the same situation. We even came over earlier this year. We, I think we got an extra three or four days because we're coming back to North America. Our coaches decided, okay, we can come over a little bit earlier. Otherwise the season gets so long being away from home. Um, so I, it, I did feel like coming over a week earlier and going to Munio instead of Ruka gave us time to really ease into the time on snow, but it's still, it still takes time and building comfort at speed and practicing like the things that you can't do on roller skis, like starts and lunges and the things that where you really want to commit on snow, but maybe not on pavement. So I think, um, the, yeah, just getting comfort back on, on snow and in different conditions will, will definitely help as season goes on. And it's just, I feel always a lot better than on snow than on, on dryland training. So I'm excited for that. Well, to wrap things up, A, is there anything that we missed that you want to talk about? And also the mood of the team must be awesome right now. Yeah, the mood has been great. And I guess that's something that we didn't talk about that much, but we've had such an uptick in female staff on the road. And I think that's been making a huge difference. I started working with Kristen Bourne, who I believe was on the podcast earlier this she was, year. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she last year was a new World Cup coach for the ski team. And going into Ruka last year, I switched coaches and asked her if she would start coaching me first World Cup weekend of the season and give it a go. And so we started working together exactly a year ago. And it's been so fun working with her closely and having her on the road and we had a chef who was making amazing food and our press officer, Leanne Bentley, who not only like is really good at her job, but she's like out there durability testing our skis and just like she got yelled at for screaming too loud, cheering us on on that last climb <laughs> on Sunday, which is so freaking awesome. That's amazing. I love she's it. like, yeah, all these coaches were yelling at me that I was screaming too loud because they couldn't tell their athletes things. I'm like, no, this is the energy we need. Like she got me up that hill every lap. And so just having and some we had like our PTs with us and so there's just a lot more female presence around and energy that I feel like the team has just now you know shown a lot of care for each other and just hanging out and eating meals together as a team in a much more relaxed like homey apartment environment was really nice and then to have results not just on the women's side but the men's side like across the board people had good races and bad races but as a whole our team is ranked I think third or fourth in the nation's ranking to kick off the season historically when we struggle with Ruka weekend. So I think the energy is really good and people are excited by the whole team momentum, not just from one side or one age group. It's really from everyone like raising the level up together. That's great. And I love that you mentioned that the team dynamics are shifting a little bit with more women staff. It's, it's, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's really great. And like our our male coaches are amazing too. And I think just having the different personalities and different people to go to, like there's certain things that you might feel more comfortable talking to one coach or another, or just having people to hang out with a little bit outside of skiing. And um, we also have the Trail to Gold Fellowship, which brings in female coaches from the U.S. to get World Cup experience. And so that's always really exciting to see them go to the big stage and step up and learn and see, okay, the World Cup is everything's bigger, but it's really just everything a little more detailed than what they do in the U S and seeing that it's possible. And Kristen was one of those people who was on a fellowship 
who came over the year before she got hired by the ski team. So it's it's been really cool to meet a lot of female coaches from the U.S. And then when we go back in the U.S., sometimes they join us for some sessions and we see them around. And it's just there's just so much more support all around, not just from a female side, but from nutrition and PTs and coaching. I feel like our team has really established ourselves on the World Cup and has the resources we need to compete with at the highest level. Well, that's great. And thank you so much. Thanks for for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, that's it for this special cross-country ski World Cup race report. I sure love talking to Julia and can't wait for the rest of them. Little secret, I've actually already talked to the next athlete about Yalavari, which is in Sweden, and it was equally awesome, so I can't wait to share that one as well. Thank you to Julia for joining me during a break in her racing and training schedule. Thank you to U.S. Ski and Snowboard for making this all happen and for being generally all-around awesome to work with. As per usual, you can find out more about this episode in the show notes. There's info about Julia, the other cross-country ski World Cups, and I've also included a link about the Minnesota event. Also on the website, there are ways to reach me, sign up for the newsletter, listen to all of the episodes, and to support the show through Buy Me A Coffee. I love coffee and love all your support. Go to hearhersports.com. And as I always remind you, be sure to tell everybody you know about the Hear Her Sports podcast. If you are new to Hear Her Sports, first off, thank you for being here. And second of all, there are tons of former guests to discover, including ski racers, Jesse Diggins and Catherine Stewart-Jones, Julia Kern's coach, Kristen Bourne, and athletes in all sorts of other sports, like mountain biking, U.S. national champion, Sevilla Blanc. There are so many athletes in sports and women working in the business of sports to hear from. Hear Her Sports is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. To find out more about what they offer, go to evergreenpodcast.com. My good friend, colleague, and project partner, Cherie Turner hosts the running podcast, Women's Running Stories, which is also part of the Evergreen Network. Finally, thank you for listening. I really appreciate that you are here. I just love learning about all of these female athletes, and I hope you also get something from the episode. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the 
the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.